right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen, his debut. Now there's going to be the man right there. That's Blue Chip right there. You know, I have to agree with you, Jim Wells. I don't like you, but i got to agree with you. Blackie Maya Villa is looking good. First, third generation superstar ever. His father really made a name for himself here in Madison Square Garden. So did his grandfather, Rocky Maivia. I see Peter Maivia, the grandfather of that young man. Rocky Johnson, his dad, former tag champion. Well, if he's anything like his father or his grandfather, we're going to have a future superstar in our hands. That's what oh, yeah. And again, you wonder whether or not he has butterflies, buttons like Furnace and Gotta have did earlier. Well, you his know, very first appearance. I know it can take care of his butterflies. I'm a better place. To get wild than with you in New York City! Who's gonna take Mark Henry's place? Hunter! You didn't think I was stupid enough to come out here with three guys, did you? Well, let me tell you, this wild man has got a revelation! Let's use deodorant. A revelation. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get wild for Jake. That's Jake Robert. Uh oh, that's not going to make Jerry the King Lawler very happy. That doesn't make me very happy. I was excited about seeing out here. Oh my goodness! And you talk about revelations. Now we know what the ball man was talking about. Look out! Here it comes! Here it comes! Ladies and gentlemen, pay attention. This is your boy, the coach from the WWE. I would like to welcome you to the very first wrestling podcast in the world to take you on a weekly deep dive in the classic matches along with legends of the squared circle. Enjoy the discussion. Enjoy the back and forth. There's so much to get into. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the payoff finally we are covering an episode involving the rock this is tom healy and as always i am joined by my co-host jeffrey ryan jeff this is the one that started the rock's career buddy but first how the hell are you doing this is exciting. I know uh, both you and I are big rock fans, and so this should be an exciting one to get into. And how can we not talk about The Rock? I mean, we've got The Rock as we know him now, and, you know, movie star and, you know, the biggest draw on the planet. And then, you know, we're going to be talking about Rocky Maivia today, though. And so you just can't overlook that kind of positive change and the career arc that he had. And it started with this match. And then, uh, plus, of course, too, you know, our guest, Mark Merrow. It's exciting to kind of have him here and talking to us and really just a, an interesting career he's been around for a long time and doing what he does in the ring and so this should be a fun one as always uh, we you know remind all of our listeners subscribe to the payoff give us those five stars spread the word about the show always on that social media twitter instagram facebook just at payoff pod make sure you're reaching out to us love interacting love dropping those retweets all that good stuff and that Patreon, as always, just that one tier. We got our after show, that bonus episode, discussions on big things that are happening occasionally, you know, drop some bonus episodes for you guys. So exciting stuff. So just that one tier, payoffpatreon.com. So Tom, what else do you want to share? Yeah, make sure to hit subscribe because you never know what episode is coming next. And we're obviously 
looking forward to sharing them with you. We got some good ones coming up and we have some good ones in the archive. So make sure to check out all of our great episodes in the archive. Other than that, man, I'm pumped. Mark Marrow, awesome guest. He's got some great stuff to share. The Wild Man, The Marvelous One, Johnny B. Bad. He's going to be a fun guest. And dude, it's The Rock's debut. And I knew he was going to be a star. Maybe not as big as he became, but I thought he was pretty awesome from the start and some fun people in this match. So this is going to be a good episode. This is why we do the payoff. Great match, great guest. And with that, Jeff, lay out the agenda for how we do things in the payoff, and we'll get started. Of course, yeah. We give you that deep dive into a match every week, every Monday. We're the only podcast out here that's doing that. So we got three parts to every episode. The build, the payoff, the aftermath. Talk about what happened before, what happened a little bit during, and then what happened after. Just covering all of our bases here. And then we share a few write-ups when they're out there from when the match occurred. And then Tom and I give our scores as well, too. So fun stuff there. But Tom, we touched on a little bit, but why did you want to talk about this match? Yeah, you know, when I was going through the career of Mark Marrow and thinking about what match I'd want to watch with him, I thought this would be a fun one. This is a big freaking deal. And so, you know, I was excited to discuss it with him because of the historical significance. And Jeff, one of the fun things about watching these matches is having 2020 hindsight, knowing everything that happens afterwards. So it's fun to go back with that perspective. And then obviously you and I do a lot of research for these shows. So it's really fun to go, okay, what were, you know, the newsletters talking about leading up to this debut of Rocky Maivia? What did they think of him in the match? You know, what did he do immediately following that in his wrestling career, right? So it's fun to, to see in real time what people were thinking. And it's great to talk to Mark Merrow about it, someone that was in the ring for it in Madison Square Garden, hear his perspective. So really looking forward to this one. What about you, Jeff? What got you excited about this match? Yeah, you got to love Rocky Maivia and the tassels and all that great stuff. But, you know, Tom, I know it's your dream to dress up with the fanny pack for Halloween one year. So, you know, my dream too. I mean, whose isn't? But, you know, just incredible, the kind of reinvention and kind of stages that we've seen him go through and in his career. And then just Mark Merrow too. You know, I'm excited for this one because I remember him a lot. He was on TV a lot in this kind of time frame and period that we're talking about a little bit here. So, I remember seeing him every week. And this is when I was, you know, younger, of course. And so I was watching every week without question. I remember Mark Merrill quite vividly being out there. And, but it was fun to kind of dig in a little bit more because this memory kind of erodes over time. And so it should be exciting to kind of jump back into this one. So with that being said, let's get to the build. Oh, it's time for the build. All right, here we are with the build. And Jeff, I wore a fanny pack to a theme party once in college. It's amazing what you can fit in those things. I'll just leave it at that. They're, uh, they're actually more handy than people realize. Yeah, absolutely. So here we are, Survivor Series, 1996. <laughs> it's amazing how much things change in a year. I know we've talked about Survivor Series 1997, you know, 
talking about different angles and behind the scenes stuff going on at that time. But this is a year prior. And I mean, the company looks a lot different. We're transitioning into the Attitude Era. So November 17th, 96, Madison Square Garden in New York City. Man, I love those MSG pay-per-views. I guess we recently got a Raw and a SmackDown there. It's been a while since we had a major show there. Who knows if and when we'll get another one. So it's a, it's a fun environment that we really don't get much these days as wrestling fans, but it's a noticeable difference. And obviously the company always tries to go out of their way for it. The gate of this, 529,000, 18,000 in, in the arena, second largest gate of the year. So big time show, big time gate. We had a dark match. Nothing interesting, but they did do a dark match on the show. It was a four-on-four Survivor Series. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, we got these four-on-four matches. It was probably just something like, hey, it's we're a little short-staffed, or we want them to go a little bit quicker. I, I really don't know what the thinking was behind that. First match on the pay-per-view, Furnace, Henry O. Godwin, LaFon, Phineas Godwin. They were accompanied by Hillbilly Jim. They defeat the British Bulldog, Leaf Cassidy, Marty Jannetty, and Owen Hart. So two different tag teams on each one. They'd go 20 minutes. Then we got The Undertaker and Mankind. It was part of that. Gosh, it felt like they feuded forever, but we got one of their matches there. 14 minutes. Taker gets the win. Mankind is uh, with the dastardly Paul Bear, who's a heel at the time. The next match was the one we're here to cover, so we'll cover that later. After the match we're covering, we got Bret Hart defeating Steve Austin in a number one contenders match in 24 minutes. Jeff, it's fun to look back because you've got the Rock's debut match, right? So this guy comes onto the scene and he's about to become one of the biggest stars in company history. Then the very next match is Steve Austin in, at the time, what was his highest profile match. This is Bret Hart returning from being gone since WrestleMania 12. And here we are, Steve Austin gets this major shot and almost wins the match, took him to 24 minutes. So we're starting to get Steve Austin as being a big star. So Rock debuting Steve Austin, his biggest match ever, late 96, and... You could argue both guys are on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling in the WWF, WWE, but certainly in this era, the biggest stars. So pretty cool there. Then another one of these kind of throwaway Survivor Series matches, Diesel, Farouk, Razor, and Vader. They're going to go up against Flash Funk, Jimmy Snuka, who is a surprise, Savio Vega, and Yokozuna. No contest in that match. They only went 10 minutes. And then we got the main event, Psycho Sid winning the WWF Heavyweight Championship off of Shawn Michaels. Big upset. The MSG crowd is cheering the heel Sid in this match. Really interesting match. A little bit of an upset. Wild to see Sid being cheered. And yeah, so that, that's your show. Interesting because you have some of these throwaway Survivor Series matches, but then you've got Undertaker, and Mankind. You've got The Rock's debut. You've got Bret Hart and Steve Austin in a great match. You have the surprises of Jimmy Snuka, who the Madison Square Garden crowd went crazy for, and Jake the Snake Roberts, which we'll talk about. So, yeah, mixed bag, man. All over the place on this show, but it was a fun one. Some things going on in the business. Kurt Henning, better known as Mr. Perfect. He blindsides Vince McMahon and says, hey, I'm going to WCW and 
I'm going to start wrestling again. And the money had to be good because he was giving up that insurance policy. He had to get back in the ring as a wrestler. So also there's some speculation. Randy Savage could be headed back to the WWF. Obviously that wouldn't have happened. Jeff, I think I've made it clear my feelings on the macho man and how I wish we would have saw him do some more wrestling in the WWF and not gone to WCW. We could have gotten that Shawn Michaels feud that Randy has been well-documented as saying that he wanted. I mean, who knows what would have happened if you had a Randy Savage running around during the Attitude Era. Could have made for some fun matches. And I'd say the same goes for Bret Hart, who would leave before the Attitude Era really got going, or even Mr. Perfect, you know? So they really went in that youth movement, but it would be fun to see some of those legends mixed up in there. Another thing I came across in my research is... Around this time, the WWF magazine posted their annual circulation, something that all magazines had to do. Jeff, they were printing out almost a half a million of these per month. I mean, it was pretty widely read. Were you a subscriber? That's crazy to think about that. Yeah, half a million magazines being printed every month for the WWF. Like and now they're lucky to get a million and a half, two million watching. Like that's nuts. Well, that was my yeah, that was my reaction, right? That's exactly what I thought. So you were yep. not a subscriber. I was not. I would of course read it in the grocery store line when I was able to, but I was not a full time subscriber. No. Okay. And and I was what I actually remember better or being a bigger fan of, and and I like the WWF magazine. But then they started coming out with this raw magazine which I thought was awesome. As I was doing my research, I was going through just Google images and looking at some of the covers. I mean, if you're listening to this on your phone and you're just messing around on the internet, pull it up. It's kind of fun because they'd have kind of like shoot interviews in there, you know, or like at least be shooting a little bit. There were some with like China and Sable and some of the, at the time, divas on the cover, almost like a Playboy light because obviously they kept their clothes on. And then they had like dream matchups of what would happen if the under taker and Andre the Giant wrestled and who would have won and just as like a 12 year old kid or however I was at this stage I just thought it was pretty cool it was a fun magazine and keep in mind this is before the internet so the closest you were getting to kind of a shoot you know unless you read the dirt sheets was stuff like this so it was fun but yeah I mean you figure half a million reading the WWF magazine however many were reading this raw magazine which I'm guessing probably started around this time and they said just for the WWF magazine they were doing about point six million of revenue per year. So this is a big deal. And again, it was before the internet, man, whole different time. You know, Jake the Snake in the match we're going to cover here was a late minute sub for Mark Henry. Mark Henry is actually supposed to be in that match and he had a leg injury that he suffered while he was training. So he would miss Survivor Series and we'd get Jake the Snake in that spot. And the last thing, Jeff, I don't really remember this, but the WWF Hall of Fame in 1996 took place the weekend of this show. It was the night before. It was at the Marriott Marquis in New York City. It was kind of weird. They had the 93 kind of quote-unquote Hall of Fame was just Andre the Giant after he passed away getting inducted by a video package. Then they did ceremonies in 94 and 95 in conjunction with the King of the Ring. Then 96, we got this Hall of Fame, which I'm going to tell you about here in a second. And then there was nothing for eight years. 
and it came back in 2004 as part of WrestleMania, and it's been with us ever since. Now, Jeff, I don't know how well you remember this, but they had the Hall of Fames at this time and, and in some of the earlier years were in like you know hotel ballrooms, and now obviously it's it's in an arena. Do you have a preference at all? Was there one that you preferred, or do you not even remember some of those <laughs> early ceremonies? Yeah, I, well, not the early ones. I went to the one in 2006 when it was in Detroit, and I remember it was at the Fox Theater. It was right by the, at the time, newly built Ford Field. And so that was kind of cool. I think that, yeah, they got to overhaul it because like being in the arena in the seven-hour affair or however long it is nowadays is just too much. And even for the wrestlers, when you see the – it's sad seeing the shots of like nobody there by the end of it. And so I like the smaller atmosphere though you know i like the kind of house show feel i actually had found my ticket recently i paid 75 bucks for like the upper balcony i remember we were sitting kind of second or third row but yeah me personally i want kind of a smaller venue for something like that it's cool that they let fans because i don't think that was always a thing because they add just a different layer to it sometimes good sometimes bad if you're bret hart but you know it just kind of depends but i like the smaller atmosphere yeah, I do too. And I don't know. I just into one. Yeah. So interestingly enough, I at WrestleMania 20, I was in New York City that weekend, but not for WrestleMania. I was there for the Big East basketball tournament, but I knew <laughs> WrestleMania was going on. So I went over to the hotel, I guess it was Saturday night when they were doing the Hall of Fame interesting story and I don't think I ever told you this you know I was in the lobby and so the wrestlers were kind of walking through going I got a hold of Bubba Ray Dudley and I was like hey man can I take a picture with you keep in mind this isn't like cell phone selfies I had a digital camera so I'm like fumbling with it I'm trying to get it to work and he's like dude if you don't get this to work in the next like three seconds I'm walking away like this is fucking bullshit and I'm like, um, I'm like 18, 19 years old. I was like, uh, okay. And we didn't get the picture, but I did meet some, some yeah. So I, I did meet some people in the uh, lobby and got some pictures and, and that was at a smaller venue. I think that was a ballroom. And that's when, I mean, I don't even think they let you in unless you had like at least dress pants on dress shirt. I mean, like it was like a suit and tie affair. And obviously the, the wrestlers were all wearing tuxedos. I prefer that. So I like that. The other thing that pisses me off and I, and I've probably been to like, four or five of the arena shows. The other thing that I hated too was there were a number of years and I remember I was at the Flair one where Flair was giving this like incredible speech, right? He could have been the only inductee and everyone would have been happy and felt like they got their money's worth and he could have just shot from the hip for two hours. But because they were on the net or on the USA network and they were airing live, they were like cutting him off and then they had to bring Triple H on stage. So it was like, I hated that when they were like, timing the speeches now at least with the network they can just go as long as they want so i think it's better now than it was for a stretch but i kind of like these old ones and if there's one induction that you want to go back and watch if there's one speech go back and watch bobby heenan i don't know what year it was but it was in a smaller venue and it was phenomenal phenomenal oh it was just great he was just fantastic and he was already kind of sick at the time but but did a great job so this particular one there were some fun inductees you know the one in, and, and jimmy snooker was actually one of them and he got inducted by don morocco triple h uh, inducted his trainer killer kowalski patterson was inducted by bret hart and then the the big one was vincent j mcmahon vince's father and shane was the one that did the induction the uh, vince vince senior was no longer with us so how many total inductees do you think there's been in the Hall of Fame? 
Oh, total? I have no idea. 204. 113 individuals, 37 legacy individuals, 15 groups, 10 celebrities, five warrior awards. So something fun going on. There's my, there's, that's interesting. Yeah, there, there's, my, there's my fun fact. Well, they didn't do it for eight years, and they had some smaller classes. That's true. And yeah, that's true. If there's, if there's one thing I would have liked is some of those years, I think they just jammed too much onto those shows. And it's like literally one year you could have just done Ric Flair and you could have had like eight presenters talk about him and share different stories and then had him talk. And that's all you could have done. And I think it would have been good. So again, just being a little critical, but I, I, I think they'd probably do better with it if they did it on non WrestleMania weekend, like maybe move it to like something like this and survivor series and do it. You could still have everybody come out during WrestleMania or even maybe do a couple like every other month or something. You're still going to get, five people at that point you do someone you know that you know has passed away and so kind of induct that so yeah i think there's some better ways to do it but we could armchair book that one for a while here but i think again it goes back to what not working what they're currently doing but well and, and, and i'll just say to your point you know the hall of fame at wrestlemania weekend you know they moved it to friday and it just got lost in the shuffle with everything else WWE and non-WWE going on. So I think they moved it back to Saturday now to like put it more in the middle, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't know. You know what? They're getting better with it. But I think some of those old ones had a, had a different charm and, and they're really fun to go back and watch. So that's all I have, Jeff. Let's talk build. Rocky Maivia's debut. Mark Merrow, our guest, is involved in all this. What do you have for us? Yeah, let's, of course, we will start with Dwayne Johnson, Rocky Maivia, The Rock, whatever you want to refer to him. But he started training to be a wrestler. This was 1996. He actually, of course, was a you know, highly touted college football player, but uh, he also had a small stint in the uh, CFL, the Canadian Football League. He was on the Calgary Stampeders practice squad for a couple of months. He ended up getting cut. And this is, of course, American football and not soccer football for those of you listening abroad. So just something to keep in mind. But that was his kind of career and what he did there with that. And so he started training to be a wrestler a little bit after that. He made his debut that year, 1996. He was Rocky Maivia. This is a combination of his father and grandfather's ring name. You had his father being Rocky Johnson and his grandfather being Peter Maivia and their ring name. So kind of smushed them together. And, and had the two different names. It's been kind of said and reported that, you know, kind of backstage stuff that he wasn't a huge fan of using the squished together names. So it was uh, kind of Vincent JR that uh, had him go down that road and use their separate names and kind of combining them. So good way to kind of, you know, live up to that legacy a little bit. So he debuted, it was Monday Night Raw. He was a member of Mark Merrow's Entourage, our guest who we'll talk about shortly here. This was November 4th, 1996. Rock's match, actually his first one, it wasn't until this Survivor Series match, which is later in November, but he really had no, I say, wrestling record at this point. So that's how we have to spend so much more time focusing on Mark Merrow. Merrow actually debuted, uh, not as Mark Merrow, but it was uh, WCW 1991. It was a match against uh, someone who we've already talked about a little bit here, Sid Vicious, and he actually won the match. And so it wasn't that long after this that he adopted a new persona. He was a Johnny B. Bad. 
This was after the uh, classic Chuck Berry song, Johnny Be Good, which many of us know and can thank Back to the Future for, for knowing that song in tune. So Johnny Be Bad, he was there and used that name. It was until 1995 when he joined the WWF in late March. At this point, as we kind of run into this issue before in the past on the episode, that he ended up changing his name because WCW owned the Johnny B. Bad name. And so that's why he started going by Mark Merrow in the, the WWE is because he had to. He didn't have a choice. So. The story and the build kind of bounces around here a little bit, but there's some continuity as well, too. And so uh, try and follow along with me here that he immediately started kind of feuding and getting into it, not with one Triple H, but with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. So many of us remember the uh, character and persona that he had the arrogant kind of person of Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And so right out of the gate, he kind of started having a feud with him and dealing with him a little bit. So like I said, I appreciate some continuity here. So they had this kind of like one-off and then it kind of faded away a little bit, but we are going to come back to it and there are some stakes here. So just hear me out. So Amaro though, in his, his, you know, right out of the gate here, he wasn't the king of the ring. He lost to the, uh, this is a big year for this king of the ring, but he lost to the eventual winner of Stone Cold Steve Austin. He also had a small rivalry with Gold Dust that was actually playing out until SummerSlam of that year. And so just, uh, you know, a couple, I say really big names of him coming over and kind of dealing with some different people. So it was September 1995. Merrill was actually in a tournament for the Intercontinental Championship. It had vacated recently because Ahmed Johnson had an injury. And so Merrill, he actually defeated the now King of the Ring winner, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He beat Owen Hart. He beat uh, Farouk. And he actually won the title And so that month. And so September 1995, Merrill was the Intercontinental Championship. Interesting, too, this actually played out on Raw. This was not pay-per-view. And so I, you know, I long for the days of having these kind of title tournaments that play out on TV, but that's just not the world we live in anymore. anymore. Yeah, so, I mean, with all the programming they have now, I don't understand why they don't do that more often. I mean, even before they brought back the King of the Ring, you and I talked about it on here of just something. You know, like do a yeah. Slammies episode, do a title tournament, like just something. So like something interesting's going on other than match, backstage segment, match, right? I, I don't, I still remember that tournament. And so I, I was just, it was something different. You felt like, oh, this is kind of a big deal. Love the U.S. Open Challenge. That was fantastic when that was going on. You've always <laughs> said it too, like the Intercontinental should be that kind of mid-carter belt. You know, I, who even has it right now? I don't even know. You know, that's a problem. So, you know, I know, but I'm not going to say it because we don't talk current product on here. That's right. So, anyways, but it speaks to, you know, we remember this from years ago. And so, yeah, you know, kind of have, so he did defend that he won it and then he actually defended it against Gold Dust. And so, kind of going back to that rivalry and feud a little bit too. And so they feuded a little bit. And then we come back, we have him losing the belt to one Hunter Hearst Helmsley. It's actually the next night on her, not the next night, but the following Raw. And so, didn't have it for very long. But this is because Mr. Perfect kind of, I say, got involved and was pushing Marrow to defend the belt. And of course, Helmsley beat him. So 
kind of coming at this from a different angle and or different angles, excuse me, and why we ended up with these teams now at Survivor Series. And so a bunch of different people and some different names here that don't make a ton of sense, but some of it does when you know a little bit of the backstory that Mero now going into Survivor Series, this is a four on four, the standard elimination tag match. Mero had the face team and that was him, Jake the Snake Roberts, the stalker who was Barry Windham, and then the newcomer on the block won Rocky Maivia. And the four of them were taking on the heel team of Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Crush, Goldust, and Jerry Lawler. So if you were just reading it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense on paper. There were also some other kind of angles, like Tom talked a little bit about some injury type things that were happening here too. So, But some of this, and I'm always a fan of like continuity and that long-term booking, a lot of this did make sense. And so kind of looking back on it and why they did it. So Tom, how about your thoughts on just this build? Yeah, I mean, my issue with the Survivor Series matches during this era is – they were really interesting like in 1988 or whenever they debuted, right? There was like a lot of interest around them. And then they reached this period where some years that was just like these dud exhibition matches kind of thrown together that didn't really make sense. And I felt like that's the era we were in. So it's just kind of a hodgepodge of stuff going on that didn't really make sense. And I think that that hurts it a little bit. But again, a lot going on, a lot for us to talk about, and great job walking us through the build and a lot of different twists and turns there. So with that being said, we're going to go into the match. We are Survivor Series 96 at the 56-minute mark on the dot. Again, that's Survivor Series 1996, 56 minutes on the dot. I will tell you that when we did this interview with Mark Marrow, the internet connection that I had because I was in a hotel room was not great. So it's a little bit choppy. I sincerely apologize. Be patient because Mark was a great guest and you'll really enjoy what he has to say. So just wanted to give you the heads up and the apology on that, but you'll get the idea of what he's trying to say. And you know, we always do our best, but sometimes scheduling can be challenging. So Survivor Series 96, The Rock's debut, 56 minutes on the dot. If you're uh, watching not on the WWE Network and that timestamp doesn't matter to you and you want to go find the match elsewhere, it's right when The Rock walks into the ring and has the goofy outfit and haircut that we've known to love over the years. So as always, enjoy the match and it's time for the payoff. Oh, it's time for the payoff. All right, we are here with Mark Marrow, and we have a wild match to watch with you here as some young kid named Rocky Maivia comes down the aisle. Mark, welcome to the payoff. It's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me on, Tom. All right, so you obviously met The Rock for the first time around this time. What was your first impression of him? Great guy. Oh, my gosh. He's a really fun guy to hang out with, great guy to be on the road with, very personable, very friendly and, and very spiritual, too. I mean, there was times that before our matches, we used to pray together. You know, we'd say a prayer, just, you know, no one get hurt and just have a safe match. You know, it was really cool. That's awesome. Going into this match, I mean, did they say, hey, we want to make sure we get the rock over. This guy's going to be our next big star. Was there anything deliberate that you guys did going into the match designed around him? No, I mean, we knew that this was uh, the opportunity to get, to get bring the rock out and get him over, you know. But, you know, I, I just, there was a person who would ever think he'd become how big he became, you know. Maybe he did, but, but I tell you something, it was, it's incredible to see the transformation and what he, we, what he accomplished, you know. 
So I was the captain of our team on this, the Survivor Series. And it was me, Barry Windham, The Rock, and um, who else was on our team? Well, um, you're, you're about to find out right Jake. now. There he is. <laughs> there he is. Okay, there's Jake. So it was really cool to have these guys on my team. And, you know, we're wrestling Goldust, Triple H, Jerry, the King Lawler. And, of course, when Jake brings that snake in the ring, everybody takes off. I don't know why, why baby faces are not afraid of the snake. I kind of never understand that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't put that near me. So, you know, it's, it's obviously it's later in their careers, but talk about Jake and Barry Windham a little bit. I mean, tell some of the younger fans just how good those guys were in their prime. Oh, my gosh. I, I wrestled Barry Windham in WCW, and he was another talented guy. He was, it, it was like wrestling Ric Flair. Like, he was that smooth, you know, when you wrestled him. He was just a, but he was so big. He was like a gazelle. Just amazing. Of course, Jake, there's probably not many people that could do a promo better than Jake. You know, he was just a, a thrill to, to be around. And, you know, and they were in the twilights of their career at that time. And, uh, of course, knowing Rockies, the Rock is, we want to get him over and get him his name out there. It's Madison Square Garden, New York City. I mean, it's the mecca of pro wrestling right here, you know. So we uh, decided, you know, who's going to start the match? How are we going to do this thing, you know? And I think, I think I started the match. Yeah, you're in there right now. And then we had a plan that I tag in the next guy. And then, you know, and of course, Rocky's the, at the end is the, is the last man standing. So he ends up winning Survivor Series. But, you know, to look at this back on this match and realize that this was part of history. This was part of the Rock coming out's first match, you know. So this is probably one of the first times you worked Madison Square Garden. I mean, did it feel different to work that building? Was it different energy, different crowd? Yeah, because, you know, it wasn't like a WCW crowd. That is the really the WWF crowd, you know? So me coming from WCW, probably didn't get the response I was hoping for. But in, all in all, it was still good. They, they talk on commentary a lot about your feud with Triple H. I mean, seeing how successful he's been behind the scenes, does that surprise you at all? Or did you think, yeah, you know what, this guy's going to be something? Well, you know, it, the love he had for wrestling – it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, he, he was another guy that ate, breathed, and slept wrestling, you know? So you knew that, you know, obviously with the opportunity, he was going to do something great. He's just a really good worker, but, but studied the game, you know? Really was, was really, and then I, I commend him for what he's doing now. Of all your moments or accomplishments in the wrestling business, what are you most proud of? You know, I guess the most exciting was when I won the first title from Lord Steven Regal when I won the TV title. It was the first time I won a strap, a belt, and it was just exciting, you know? And then, of course, winning the Intercontinental title with the tournament. You know, gosh, I had to beat Owen Hart. I had to beat Stone Cold Steve Austin. I had to beat Farouk, uh, Ron Simmons, you know? So beating those three guys that win the Intercontinental title was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I didn't realize. I mean, I guess I, I should have noticed this before, but Dustin Rhodes is a big boy. I mean, you're seeing him yeah. in there against you, and you're, you're no small guy either, but, I mean, he was a big athlete. <laughs> he, was another, he was another gazelle. I mean, when I say that, I mean, like a big guy that can do anything. He was so talented, and, and I, I always enjoyed wrestling Dustin, and he's a great guy too, really good person. I don't know if you've seen some of his recent stuff. I mean, hell, he's probably, what, in his 50s? He's doing, I mean, he's in the best shape of his life right now. Yeah, I know, because we were all doing DDP yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone swears by it. You, him, Jericho. I mean, this stuff must work. 
Well, you know what it is, is as you get older, it's really good to be able to stretch more and, and be able to be limber. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great workout without destroying your joints. And because of being a, being a wrestler, most of our joints are pretty beat up. In terms of your professional wrestling career, are there any major regrets you have? Anything you'd like to do over? You know, that's a great question, Tommy. I often say that by all the paths I took in life, they ended up to right where I am now. And I couldn't be more blessed or happier with what I'm doing now. So maybe if I, those things didn't happen or I didn't go through tragedies or tribulations, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today, you know? So do I have regrets? Nah, I mean, sure. You wish things could have been different in certain areas and stuff, but no regrets, no bitterness, no resentment, no anger, and, and most of all, no unforgiveness. Man, I tell you, you either forgive or you relive, and I just will not hold myself back from just living a really peaceful life. Well, I'm sure some of our listeners, probably many of them know what you're doing now, but for those that don't, tell them. And then like, what's an average week or an average month look like for you as you're out there on the speaking circuit? Well, you know, what's funny, Tom, is that when I left wrestling, you know, we were doing about 220, 230, 240 cities a year. You know, it's like crazy schedule we would have, you know, you ask any wrestler back in that time, well, it was a, it was a really hectic schedule. And I remember when I retired thinking, and even when I retired, I still had three years left on a guaranteed contract and I walked away. I just had enough. But when I walked away, I remember getting on that plane last time and thinking, I'm so glad I don't have to travel anymore. I could just be home, enjoy my life. And then I started the speaking tour. Now I'm doing 230, 250, 290 events a year. But the good thing now is I still get to go out there and, and entertain and inspire people. But Tom, nobody's hitting me over the head of the chair anymore. <laughs> At least not yet, okay? <laughs> But what I do is I, I go to schools, churches, and corporations all over the country, all over the world now. We, we even went to Guatemala a couple months ago. We went to Russia and spoke at schools and churches in Russia. Uh, I'm going to the UK in November. So, you know, I had this opportunity to really inspire a lot of people through tragedies and triumphs of my own life, my own story. But I really help a lot of young people, especially kids that are being bullied or abused or depressed or going through anxiety or self-harming or suicidal. And that's the joy I have in my life now. Why is it that you think some of the mental health things that you mentioned, why is it that it's more prevalent now than ever before? Well, you know, there's probably a lot of different thoughts of why that is. Of what's happening to our kids today is it's it really is a breakdown of the family. The core of the family has really broken down a lot. Many kids are coming from single family homes, but I'm watching more and more times that grandparents are actually have stepped up to take care of kids today. So when you see a breakdown of the family and, and also, you know, our, our social media, our smartphone has outsmarted us in mm -hmm. some senses that we are constantly addicted to this device where it takes away from so many things in our life. I, I tell you, when you leave this planet and you, you, you end up taking your last breath, you are not going to care how many followers you had. You are not going to care how many likes you had. And so many of these young people are so enthralled in what people think or say about them, where we have to understand that you're not defined by have uh, a lot of work ahead of us. I wish I could be on your show and say it's getting better and better, but Man, I tell you something, if we don't start doing some things and really come together as a country and stop fighting with each other, we're going to have some really tough times ahead of us. Well, I think that's what's ironic. I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day, but we're more connected than ever. 
people have social media, they have all these outlets, yet people feel more lonely, isolated, and depressed than they ever have. And it's terrible. You're absolutely right. And I tell you, that's where, you know, social media can be a real blessing when you use it for a positive thing, but also could be so detrimental to young people when they read all these horrible things about themselves or you just never know what another kid's going through either. And I got to tell you another thing, the thing I'm seeing is that we are seeing so many of our young people, young, young students, these kids that are on Adderall and, and, and Xanax and, and, and the prescription medication that doctors are prescribing these kids at such a young age. And don't get me wrong, Tom, I'm not saying that there aren't some kids that need medication. What I'm saying is that if a doctor prescribes medication to your kid, get a second or third opinion. Don't just give your kid, because you have, you have no idea what some of these drugs do to our kids. And what are you going to do? Keep a kid on drugs from when they're a little kid up until adult? In years and years, we don't even know what long-term effects are doing to our kids. Mark, they would have they would have put me on drugs in first grade if I was a little bit younger, right? I mean, like in this day and age, they would have. At the end of the day, I was just an active social person that needed to channel their energy. I didn't need to be taking pills the rest of my life. Exactly, Tom. And and you know, and there's also another train of thought: is our food has been so processed now. We, you, we look at all the people that get cancer today. You know, I think there was a thing I saw the other day, one out of every three people is going to have some sort form of cancer. It's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? But a lot of it stems from our food is now so processed. And that's why we're seeing the, the holistic and the organic stuff all becoming so popular today. And what, would, what do we actually put in our body? What are they feeding our chickens and our beef and cattle and things like that? And these are questions that, as a parent, you really got to start being aware of what we're putting into our kids' mouths. So Jerry Lawler's mocking Jake the Snake about his drinking problem right now. Did you think that that was crossing the line, a little dumb to put that into storyline, or did you just not think it was a big deal? You know, knowing Jerry, I'm sure that that was something that they talked about and Jake knew beforehand. You know, Jake, you know, he obviously he had his struggles, and and I really like Jake. He, you know, on a personal level, he's just been so kind to me. And we've been, been friends for a long time. But that was the Attitude Era. That's when you bring the reality of all these tragedies into play. You know, that's what they were trying to do. And, and back then, you remember, a lot of stuff that we did back then would never fly today. Oh, I know. <laughs> you, you were involved in a lot of it. <laughs> so Yes, I was. <laughs> yes, uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't see too much of that today. That's right. So you have obviously spoken around the world. Do you think if you were to be a wrestler now because of all that experience that you'd be better at promos? Oh, I feel so much more comfortable in front of people now. And then that, that's a great thing that you just said, because I was just, especially with the wild man, Mark Merrill character, uh, just not real comfortable because I didn't really, didn't really know what was he just, was it my, from the jungle? What am I? You know? So I'm so much more comfortable in front of large crowds now because I speak in front of thousands of kids every day. Or just, and, and I got to tell you something, there's no harder audience than a middle or high school. Than oh. You know, so you have to captivate those kids, man. You have to have those kids in the palm of your hands, man, to, to do well. And it's crazy because I, I often get the, the kids usually give me a standing ovation at the end of the presentation, which is really cool. It is the hardest audience to speak in front of. Like elementary school kids, they hang on your every word. Adults usually are very respectful. College students are usually okay. That middle school, high school is absolutely brutal. I don't know how you do it. It is the toughest audience 
to captivate for an hour by far. You know, this is my 13th year doing it. So I've really learned to connect with students. And, and you know what's really cool is um, some of my videos have gone viral where the kids all know who I am, not from wrestling, but from the YouTube videos or something, you know, that mothers love because when some days they go, oh my God, that's that guy. You know? And so it's kind of cool that the kids kind of know who I am or the school's promoting me or showing posters or pictures of me and stuff. Or they'll show the kids the video and they, they're really respectful of it too. What's the most important lesson you've learned in life? Treating other people with, with, with dignity and respect. It, you know, it's, it's so important. We, I find that there's no greater joy than helping another person. And that's where I really found my joy. I tend not to ever talk bad about people or be bitter or resentful in life. And like I said earlier, forgiveness is so important. But you know, Tom, some of the times the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. And sometimes we hold back because we're so mad at ourselves because we did something or we, we blew an opportunity or yells the rest of our life, but it, it's a, it serves the roadblock to future love or future, future happiness. Since you've been out there speaking around the world, is there one story or compliment that you've received on the impact you've had that's really stuck out to you and hit home? Oh my gosh, the hundreds and the hundreds of letters we get from students or parents that say I saved their kid's life, that they're, they opened up about a suicide attempt they were going to have. Or one kid that the day before I came, I, we, she did a, a video for us too. She got up on a stool and jumped off and the, the rope broke from her hanging herself. And then, then, then I think it was a couple of days later, I'm at her school doing a presentation and it just turned her life around. And now she goes out there and helps other people. So we see a lot of that. And that's really uh, just such a joy to know that something I said or did helped somebody else. I mean, you've obviously gone on record and talked about some of the challenges you had, I guess, primarily around your 20s. How bad was it? And I mean, how much have you really transformed yourself and persevered through some of that? You know, I was, uh, I was a drug addict, you know, my, my drug of choice back then, it was, it was cocaine and I just was doing it every day. And even when I made it into professional wrestling, there was times I would go clean for a while, but then all of a sudden you're on the road with some of the guys and you get hooked up with the wrong people and it comes back and haunts you, you know, and I was actually with some of the, the wrestler friends that when I overdosed one of the times, one of the three times I overdosed where I should have been dead. But luckily, you know, I made it. And not only that, but, but putting drugs in your body and then going and trying to wrestle a match or, or you know, your heart and your body, your mind, you, you just can't take it. You know, you don't, you don't even realize what you're doing to yourself. But you think, I'm an athlete, I can do this, you know, and it was very difficult. But, uh, you know, then I got married and to, to Rena at the time and cleaned up my life for a while. And then, of course, after a divorce, it was like uh, all the bad stuff came back. And I had to really refocus my life because it was like back to the same old thing. And then, then losing everything, you know, just losing my marriage, my financially just devastated. And it was at the point where I just wanted to end it all really. I mean, I was suicidal. I didn't, didn't want to be here anymore. And it was just a transformation that turned my life around and, and, and realizing that I have a gift that I can help other people. I don't want no one to feel like I felt or went through what I went through. You know, people don't realize that my, my little brother, he was only 21, and my mom, she was only 58. They, they died two weeks apart. My dad died while I was holding him in my arms from lung cancer. So I, I lost so much. You know, my little sister died at 21 from cancer. Losing so much, you, you just 
tend to appreciate things so much more because most people take for granted the very things they should appreciate. And how long have you been just feeling good now? And, you know, how long has that stuff been past you? I have not touched a drug in 16 years. And I'm really proud of that. And I I don't ever see myself ever touching a drug like that because I, I think it would kill me now. You know, I really do. I'm 59 years old. I'm not no spring chicken anymore, but I, I, I value life too much. And I, I really, really hope I can continue to make a difference. You know, I'm certainly not perfect. I make mistakes. I, you know, do things where I just look at myself and go, what were you thinking or whatever, just like anybody else. You know, my life's not perfect, but it's not about our, search, our circumstance or situation. It's how we respond to those that make the difference in our life. I don't want to make light of drugs, but I, I've seen how much energy you have speaking in front of audiences. And when you're out there, you know, you don't need anything else to uh, get yourself energized and enthused. I think, I think you're, you're naturally, you have as much uh, energy and enthusiasm as you need, my friend. <laughs> oh, Tom, but thank you, man. I got to tell you that, that when, I, when I walk out there in front of, you know, anywhere from a thousand to, gosh, you know what's really cool now? It's like we, we go to Laredo, Texas, and they bust the kids off into a big arena where we do eight or 10,000 kids at once, you know? So it's just amazing to walk out there with that kind of energy. And you're right. You don't need a drug to ever feel that feeling of just, oh my gosh, I want to make a difference in this world. Absolutely. If there's one moment from your professional wrestling career that you could live over again right now, what would it be? Wow, that could live over again. You mean that something that was great or something that... No, no, something that was great. Like, what was something where you're like, hey, this one moment in my career, walking out this one time or the end of this one match or whatever it was, what was the time in your career? Like, I'd, I'd love to relive that one again. It was just... Oh, wow. Well, I, I mean, gosh, winning the Intercontinental title with WWE was, was obviously one of the real highlights because, you know, they chose, it's like they chose you to win this whole tournament and you look at who's in the tournaments, the who's who of the WWF. So that was really cool. And then, um, you know, and then obviously in WCW, you know, uh, my first time being at the Omni in Atlanta where it was sold out or something like that, you know, that you just weren't this huge crowd. And it was just incredible to, to, to witness and be a part of that. Yeah. Well, that's, that was a great pin you just got there on Triple H. That was a little like springboard reverse moonsault. Pretty cool move. Again, you just, you did. Yeah, really- that, that move, Tom, I used to do as a kid on a diving board. <laughs> really? You know, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would jump one way and spin in midair and hit the diving board and do a backflip or something. And I thought, why not bring this to professional wrestling? I've never seen anyone else do it, but I'll give it a shot, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I, you don't see that move even now much. I, I love it. So we, we have- you know what it is? It's so dangerous because the ropes are always like oily from the guys having oil on their skin. Yeah. So to hit the rope just right without slipping off is really hard. So they, you know, they just showed a, a, some video of Vince McMahon. He's on commentary for this match. The first time you meet Vince McMahon, what's your impression of this guy? Well, Vince was so kind to me because, you know, he really wanted me at WWF. He, you know, he flew me in. I had went to his home and had dinner with him at his house. I really felt my career wouldn't have been fulfilled because the WWF or WWE, that's the dance. In other words, the WrestleMania is the dance. And for any, it's a Super Bowl. You know, it's the, the, the pinnacle of a sports. And I felt I would never have achieved that if I would have stayed at WCW because, of course, they had my guaranteed contract there also that I would have, could have stayed in, in there for another 
many years. But um, I really wanted to come to the WF, and Vince gave me a, well, I guess it was one of the first guaranteed contracts out of in professional wrestling, huge signing bonus. You know, he, he also, I wanted my, my wife to be part of my uh, entrance, and you know, he didn't know her from nothing, and he gave her a contract too. So we had everything we wanted. Yeah, that was important to you that she traveled with you. That's uh, usually the opposite of what you hear in professional wrestling, right? <laughs> yeah, he was a little surprised when I, when I gave him that one. You know, he's like, you want your wife to travel everywhere you go? And I said, absolutely, man. Because I just watched too many guys get divorced. You know, and we, we got married in, in 94 and I went to WWF in 96, late 96. I'm sorry, March of 96 or April of 96. But I just didn't want to ruin my marriage. I, I, got, I just got clean. I just wanted to try and do the right thing. I gave my life to God. I, you know, did try to do the right thing. But, of course, I fell away and did the wrong thing and got all in trouble again and screwed up, you know. But, you know, the old saying, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. And I'm one of those guys that just don't stay down too long. So, you know, as the match comes to a close here, you know, you look back at The Rock. I mean, at the time, did you think, I mean, obviously you could have never predicted the success he's had, but did you think that he was going to be a big star or did he just seem like any other young guy? No, he, he was really athletic, you know, and he watched a lot of the matches too. So he was like always willing to learn, very respectful of, of wrestling. You know, I mean, it was with his dad and his grandfather in it. So he's always been around it. And now he's trying to make a name for himself, but without nobody handing him nothing. He really worked hard and uh, very proud to, you know, have known The Rock and worked with him and had him on my team and everything. It was just great. Last question for you is, again, as this match comes to a close here, do you ever think about the WWE Hall of Fame? Is it something you'd like to be in? If you got the call, how would you feel? What are your thoughts on it? Well, I don't sit by the phone too often looking at it for the WWE to call me. But, you know, it's like anything in life. You know, if they're, if sure, if they, if that was the, they called me and said, hey, we want to induct you in the WWE, I would be honored, you know. But like I said, it, it's not going to define my life. What I do now is really what defines who I am as a person. And my legacy is not going to be, you know, how much money I had or being the Intercontinental Champion or, or what kind of car I drew. So my, my legacy is going to be the, the difference I made in somebody else's life. Of course. And as we wrap up this show, if fans want to stay in touch with you, know what you're up to, follow you, what's the best way for them to uh, stay in touch with you on social media? Oh, man, just you can find me on Facebook or Twitter. You know, my, my name is Mark. It's Mark with a C-M-A-R-C-M-E-R-O. You just type that in, you'll find me pretty easily. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, our, our website, which is Think. And you can find us if you'd like to book one of our events at, at your school, church, or corporation. All right. Mark Marrow, thinkpause.org. Hey, thanks for uh, joining us on the show. We appreciate it. Great. Ho! It's time for the aftermath. Welcome back. And as always, uh, want to thank Mark Merrill for joining us. Such a you know cool moment for him to be a part of and talk about and him to kind of share his knowledge with us. So that was exciting stuff. And so I have a lot of thoughts on the match and just <laughs> Survivor Series as a whole, which uh, I, I will save and share a little bit later here. But uh, Tom, what did you think about the payoff? It served its purpose. Right. Yep. I mean, this match was built around, let's get this new kid, Rocky Maivia, over as a star. I know Vince is always a big fan of, look, wherever you bring them in is how they're going to be perceived. So someone like this that they had high hopes for, he was young, he was athletic, there's some family lineage there. They 
build a major match around him on a major pay-per-view. So it did what it had to do. It was a fun match. It's fun looking back and seeing some of the cast of characters that was that was in the match. So that's it. I enjoyed it. And we'll talk more about it as we get into our payoff score. Walk through the match just in terms of who was in it and what happened to some of the folks that we covered following the match in the aftermath. Yeah, so the aftermath, this match itself, like, you know, you might have seen or heard, whatever it might have been, that the final uh, three people in the ring were Crush and Goldust on the heel team, and then you had Rocky Maivia on the face team. Marrow had actually eliminated Hunter Hearst Helmsley about the 20 or so minute mark, and then Crush actually did take out Mark Marrow. So, again, at the 20 minute mark, this is a long one, but this was a fun one. So, as you can see, Rocky Maivia being the sole survivor, he eliminated the two final members of Crush and Goldust at roughly the 24 or so minute mark. If you have the time, and, we'll, and we will share it on our Twitter this week, uh, Rock actually, he sat down and watched this match the, just himself. This was about three years ago now uh, by the date on the video. It was on YouTube, and even he said his debut was unusual. Not only was it just a big pay-per-view, which it's you know rare a lot of times to see uh, like a debut of this kind of caliber on such a big show. But he also said too, it's it's rare too, because like Tom alluded to a little bit earlier, like it was Madison Square Garden. And for any wrestling fan knows, like Madison Square Garden is very much holy ground for WWE, WWF fans. And so, you know, we kind of have that. And so uh, some of the lines he had throughout this, I thought were funny. And we'll, we'll talk about Mero in a second here, but Rock, he even said that uh, as he was coming out to the ring, as he put it and the quote here was, I got a fucking Chia pet on my head as a haircut. And so I thought that was uh, pretty Pretty good one. And then he said he messed up. He was so hype and he knew that the one thing he needed to do was come out and he knew he wanted to point at the hard camera, which is the kind of centered camera that's always on the ring. And he even said not once, but twice he messed up pointing at the hard camera. The first time was when he came out to the ring. You'll see his, as he said, his back was to the camera because he was pointing to the entrance ramp, not realizing because <laughs> the adrenaline and everything that he wasn't pointing in the right direction. And then watching the match too, if you look after the win, he actually does the same thing in his backs to the hard camera again, because he was pointing in the wrong direction. So, Hey man, um, I got to tell you the adrenaline is real. So when I came out at my wedding at the reception to Hulk Hogan, real American and had a belt, and Boa on, you just start getting amped up and you're flexing and you're, you know, doing the, the ear call and you're, you know, you lose track of what's going on, man. You don't know where you're pointing and it's just, it's real. It happens well, to all of us superstars. And I will say that the day we spent at the performance center, when we had our visit there and we, you and I were, didn't hesitate to jump at the opportunity to do a, or replicate an entrance that even doing that, it's hard to describe that to, you know, people that haven't been in that scenario, but even you and I, like, you know, we speak for a living and, you know, that's, you know, what we do, but even just those couple 150, 200 of us that were there along with the superstars, probably not even that many, like I blacked, like I say blacked out through part of it, like, because it was just like the the adrenaline was just going and stuff. And so, you know, I did Bobby Roode's entrance and this is the time when him and Gargano and Ciampa were doing, interrupting him on Snapchat or whatever it was. And so they were in the ring. So I remember them sliding in the ring. I remember very little of it, but you know the pictures tell the story. But it's just because, yeah, that adrenaline, it gets going. You never know. But he, that was actually a piece of what The Rock was talking about in this video, too, is that you know he didn't know how the fans were going to react, and it was him two-on-one or one-on-two. 
and he knew that like he had something when they started chanting his name. And so it was like, kind of the first, um, and he said his finisher at the time on this, and this is how the match wrapped up here was his finisher was the big shoulder breaker, which is oh, what that's he did on so Golden. bad. What a great finisher. <laughs> yeah. Right there next to uh, the uh, leg drop finisher. So yeah, but, like, this isn't like the eighties. I mean like that, it's just, yeah. sh- that shoulder breaker was so bad. Yeah. You know, I was weak. Yeah, absolutely. And so just interesting how that played out. But even he was laughing at it too, which is just kind of funny. But it's a good video to watch, kind of check it out, him walking through the whole match. You can tell he gets – it doesn't get choked up, but just emotional, kind of, you know, reliving some of that. So that was kind of fun. I mean, him just sitting there watching that. So, you know, we I don't need to speak much more on The Rock's career because we will on future episodes, and we know that he just took off like a rocket at, after this, no pun intended there. So the rock, you know, doing what he does, fantastic stuff. But we got Merrill though. He continued actually his rivalry with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. They had a couple of matches for the intercontinental championship belt. Merrill would win those, but it was uh, one of them rather, but uh, it was via count out. And so was not able to win the belt back. And so he went on to, he was in the uh, 1997 Royal rumble. He was eliminated by the winner of that one. These run-ins with stone cold. Again, he was eliminated by stone cold. So King of the Ring and now this and so they had that kind of going on with that and so he did have one more chance against Hunter Hearst Helmsley so again this feud just kept going and continuing it's another interesting one playing out he had one more opportunity for the Intercontinental Championship it was not able to win the title so he was hurt and so he was out for quite a while after this and he came back he was actually repackaged as the, the boxer marvelous Mark Marrow he was with Sable of course at this time too and so just the, how it played out was a little bit different his kind of last appearance on TV. It was actually a raw episode where he had an opportunity to light heavyweight championship and so a belt that forgotten about a little bit. He did not win and so uh, he left. So he did a small stint after that. It was in WCW TNA uh, but at this point, you know, as of today, he's been retired for 10, 12 years and so but did really have a successful run. I mean, we'll talk about some of his other matches on a, a different episode but it did do a lot. You know, there, there was a lot happening there. Like I said, I remember him quite a bit. And of course, The Rock, The Rock is The Rock. And so, you know, we've, we touched on that. So, Tom, how about your thoughts on the aftermath on this one? Yeah. So, you know, as far as Mark Merrill went, some injuries, some issues, but man, I mean, I thought he was fantastic. And I just wish that some of the booking and gimmicks would have been done a little bit better with him. You'll remember he had that great match with Steve Austin the night that Steve went on to win the King of the Ring, which hopefully we'll cover on a future episode. But yeah, you know, I, I thought I thought kind of an underrated, underutilized talent and was just at a time where the booking just wasn't that great. So you bring him in maybe like 97, 98, and you're going to get more of that like boxer gimmick or maybe something a little bit more of an edge, not something goofy like, oh, God damn it, pal, you look like a wild man. Let's let's call you the wild man. Because, you know, he admitted in interviews that he's like, yeah, I didn't know what the hell I was, uh, like Tarzan. like, And you even watch him debut, and it's like he's like doing the like, oh, like he's like doesn't even know what the hell to do because he doesn't know what the gimmick is because – it was created in Vince's mind. As far as The Rock, look, they obviously knew he was going to be a star. Not long after this, he's in the Intercontinental title mix. I mean, they, they knew that they had something with him. So what I'm curious about, though, Jeff, is what did the newsletters have to say about this match and about The Rock in 1996 immediately following the match? 
Yeah, I won't read the kind of full breakdown, but I have just some interesting kind of snippets from from both of these and all of these. I, I, real quick, I'll just say the grapple score was a 2.91 out of 5. That was 16 ratings. And so that's what they gave it. But I'll start, too, with the Pro Wrestling Torch. Uh, this was Rocky was the lone survivor, and the match was booked to make him look good. Maivia sure didn't appear to be anywhere near the 6.5 they built him at. He's going to have to really grow out that hair like Marge Simpson to reach 6-5. Seriously, he will take some heat from fans if they continue to exaggerate his height. Roberts was the most over babyface, and with Lawler out early, the heels didn't have much heat, especially now that Goldust has been castrated to where he's now just a guy in a funny suit with no personality. Two and a quarter stars. The Observer Newsletter, again, just a funny write-up here. Uh, you know, it's great to look back on, but my via showed a good amount of charisma for someone lacking so much in experience, but was only put in the ring in spots basically to cover for his lack of experience. Although there was no denying his athletic potential. He was only in the match twice, once mainly working high spots with Jerry Lawler, who did a great job with him. And then for a short finishing sequence where the crowd got behind him big, but it was noticeable that he needs to be protected rather than exposed, at least until he gets more experience in the ring. Tom, I'll let you take it from here. Okay. Look, yeah, the match wasn't great. Two stars, one star, 2.5 stars, whatever. I, I, I don't care. That's fine. I don't disagree with that. Here's what I don't understand, okay? Nowhere in either of these expert reviews is there any acknowledgement that, dude, this kid has a bunch of energy, a bunch of charisma. He seems like he could be a big star in the business or the next star, or since his match was built around him, this kid may have some serious potential. I mean, I remember watching this live, 1996. They're talking about his family. They're talking. I remember Jim Ross calls him a blue chip prospect. I mean, I remember from all those years ago how big of a deal they made him out to be. They didn't do that that often. I mean, how many debuts can you say, oh yeah, someone came in young, pretty inexperienced, and they were talking about them as a blue chip prospect and a really big star. It didn't happen that often. So I don't understand how neither of them at any point say, yeah, you know what? This kid looks like he could be a big star. You know, everyone's so caught up in like, oh, well, he's kind of green in the ring or, oh, he was protected or, oh, you know, Lawler like helped him look good or whatever bullshit they said. Okay, so what? I mean, not everything has to be gymnastics and five-star classics and not everyone has to be an acrobatic, incredible worker on day one. The kid was good. And you knew he was going to be a star. Look, did I think in 1996, this is going to be the biggest star in Hollywood someday? Well, of course not. But I think they both missed the boat at the time. And I'm not saying this out of 2020 hindsight to like beat up on them. But I even remember at the time thinking, this dude's going to be a star. This guy looks good. The company's behind him. It's not that often you get a second generation guy in the business, right? I'm sorry, third generation. So yeah, I thought they missed it. I had a much different take at the time about this match and what it was meant to do because that didn't happen often that they got this much behind someone young from the start. So whatever you want to call it, I disagree. I think they missed the mark. I don't know how these experts didn't see more 
than they did. That's just my opinion. Again, I, th- I thought he looked good. I thought the match served its purpose. I thought it was pretty solid. I don't know if the match should have gotten a higher rating, but I think there should have been ma- more acknowledgement that, yeah, they got something with this kid, and it's going to be fun to watch what happens with him. The, uh, hey, if you but do you agree? Facebook, I mean, do you agree? Do you disagree? If you put it on Facebook, you're an expert. It makes you an expert, man. So it's one of those things. I think that I, I couldn't get the image out of my if he had come out with a bald head this first time. Like we know The Rock now. I can't imagine how that would have gone over. Um, oh I will say, <laughs> you're welcome. I will say that I think that I don't think they could have known the level that he would have risen to. I guess maybe it's not, you know, it's not their job to necessarily put someone over, but yeah, I feel like it does kind of miss the mark though, in regards to what was happening because yeah, this was, you know, the big stars were eliminated. This is who you were left with. And so maybe they should have, you know, Hey, maybe like keep an eye on him, something like that. Yes. I kind of, yeah, I'm like, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm like almost thumbs up agree with you here. I'm probably like 80% with that because yeah, I think that they probably could have, read the signs a little bit more like see the chessboard and what was playing out but just wasn't the case that so but yeah I'm, I'm kind of right there with you so we'll jump into our score though because a good conversation here and we'll keep it going there so everyone knows you know we time and I like to provide our score here we, we just look at everything be it you know one through ten the score with the build the crowd the commentary the in-ring product what happened with the aftermath kind of long-term things like that just uh, really a bit of everything and so you know no specific formula just what couple Marks are thinking. So, Tom, I believe this is your week to go first. So, I will let you go first. All right. Let's see. You had the Rocks debut. You had this match built around this young kid that got a really good pop. The crowd was really behind him at the end. Fun mix of people in the match. Surprised that Jake the Snake comes out. I'm going to put this one at a six. Okay. I think it served its purpose. It wasn't the greatest match, but some cool stuff happening. It was a strong debut. They made him a big deal. Obviously, getting behind this guy was the right thing to do for the company because he went on to be a massive, massive star. So, yeah, Jeff, I'm giving it a six. I thought it solid debut, served its purpose, fun to look back at, especially as we do with the payoff score, looking at kind of, you know, the buildup in terms of his career before and, and the debut and then obviously what would happen afterwards. What about you, my friend? I'm going to give my score. Sometimes I'll try and wait till the end here, but I'm going to throw it out here early. I'm going to give it a four. I think that take it for like the microcosm that it is in that moment. It's still overall like the match. It wasn't anything to brag about. And I, and I wonder if part of that is just on the survivor series format. I've spoken on the after show and this show at length a lot about the Survivor Series format. And I feel like this is at least a little bit truer to how I feel Survivor Series should be playing out where you do kind of have some teams coming together that make a little bit of sense. The last few years and having the two, three weeks lead up before Survivor Series, all of a sudden a a red shirt in a blue shirt make you hate each other. (laughs) You know? So I struggle with that. You know, I'm very high on the it almost a little bit like they're doing at Crown Jewel and maybe either do the teams of like Legends versus Legends, which I think is one way to do it, but I think a, a better way to do it would be have an actual team of Legends that could still go and be out there versus a team of younger guys and, you know, have them kind of carry it and kind of do it that way. But you know, that's my thought. So I, I think, though, that this overall, while I think – 
especially now Survivor Series was a huge pay-per-view when this one aired. It was, you know, probably the second biggest one, if not, the, you know, maybe third, if, depending on how you rank SummerSlam. But yeah, it, it's just such a, a big deal at the time. You know, not just credit Rumble, but, it, you know, they are what they are. And I think that, yeah, a four, just for me, I don't know why. I can't give it more than that other than, well, I think it sticks true to the kind of format, just the match itself. And just, I'm not excited, like looking at where those characters are today versus where they were then. I'm not like, oh my gosh, like this was eight, you know, the, these characters turned into something or bigger, you know, I don't know. I'm just struggling with it. So I'm going to give it a four because I can't really, you know, I just can't. You, get you just, you see very bent out of shape on this one. Like I said, I'm just not, I'm not super excited about it. And I think okay. that's part of it. So, okay, Tom, uh, I'll kind of kick it back over to you. You know, what were your final thoughts on any of this one and kind of take us home? My final thoughts are you seem very stressed out over your payoff score this week. I need to get a white claw or something, man. I need to be drinking <laughs> off the air. So. Yeah, right. Maybe we'll start drinking while we do this. All right. You're not so, already. All right. No, yeah, the problem is, you know, we, we record these like during the work day or, or right around then yeah. uh, on a weekday. Yeah, maybe we'll start, we'll get a 12 pack of claws each and we'll just start cranking on episodes <laughs> on a Saturday. That'd make for a fun one. Yeah. Man, you guys got a lot more funny. What happened? Oh, we started drinking while we did. We're just drinking more. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, only final thought I have is I've always been a big Mark Marrow fan. So, doing public speaking for a living, I, I respect the hell out of what he does. If you want to learn more about him, he has a website, thinkpause.com. Pause is P O Z. Go on there, go on his website, or I'm sorry, on his uh, YouTube. Just look at some of the stuff he's done. I mean, it's crazy. He'll go out there and he'll speak at like, 230 high schools a year. It's just insane, right? And he does some really impactful stuff. So kind of a cool guy. I just love anytime I see retired wrestlers that maybe you don't see or hear from often, but they're doing great things and they're having an impact and they're enjoying life. And, and so really happy for him. And I think his accomplishments outside the ring and what he's done to help people and his message is really powerful. So just make sure to check him out, support him. Jeff, maybe you can give us his Twitter handle as well, but that's really all I have. Just thanks for being on the show. Fantastic guest. Look forward to having you again in the future. And man, what a blast walking through The Rock's debut match. Yeah, Tom hit it on the head again. Thanks, sir. Mark Merrill being here. His Twitter and, and Instagram and his Facebook, all that social media, he is just at Mark Merrow. That's with a C, at Mark Merrow. So check him out there. He's very active on all that stuff, so make sure to check him out. And then, a close, of course, excuse me, closing the show as we like to open here, subscribe to the payoff, give us those five stars, spread the word about the show, always active on social media. You can find us at, at payoffpod, and then that Patreon too, just that one tier, payoffpatreon.com, bringing you all that extra content. So feel free to support the show because we are out there and we want to keep bringing that to you. So Tom, <clears throat> uh, I smell what you're cooking and it smells like a closing line, my friend. As always, thank you for joining us on The Payoff. <laughs> <laughs>